Hey there and welcome to the Box Office Watch Podcast, where we keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. This is the show recapping the weekend of July 8th through the 10th, 2022. My name is Paulo and I'm your host. Hope everyone's doing well out there. Uh, I've been getting back in the groove of actually going to go see movies post-pandemic. Uh, I saw Thor Love and Thunder on Friday and then also saw Phil Tippett's Mad God Saturday at the IFC Center. Um, also, my wife uh, ended up seeing a K-pop concert sat- Sunday and then as I'm writing this, which I wrote this on Monday, but I'm only recording this on Thursday because work got in the way. But when I was writing this, I just got in back from a J-Rock concert on Monday. So fun times all around. Um, I'll have my thoughts about the movies I ended up watching at the end of the episode, but first let's go into the last week's box office results. In first place, we have Thor 11 Thunder debuting with $144.1 million in a 4,375 theaters, per theater average of $32,952. Uh, adding in another $159 million is made overseas to date, and it sits at $303 million lifetime. That's within the 135 to 165 million opening range that box office pros had had forecast for Thor 11 Thunder, though they had officially forecasted on the higher end of that. Um, there is, of course, disc- as always, discourse online as to whether or not this is a good or bad result for, um, at this point, the longest active solo Avenger. Um, on the review side of things, it has a B-plus cinema score, down from Thor Ragnarok's A, and 67% critics and 81% audience on Rotten Tomatoes, compared to Ragnarok's 93% critics and 87% uh, audience for Ragnarok. Um, on the box office side of things, it's about $20 million op- uh, higher than what uh, Ragnarok opened to uh, with 122 million, and it's currently at 12th out of 30 MCU films, opening just below Doctor Strange's Multiverse of Madness from earlier this year. Uh, so far for 2022, it is the third highest opening, just behind Jurassic World Dominion by about a million dollars and ahead of the Batman by about 10 million or so. Now, I'll go into my review of the film later, but I think a lot of the hashtag discourse online is somewhat caused by inflated fanboy expectations, much in the same way that Multiverse of Madness suffered from inflated opinions on what it should be before the film actually came out. While this didn't have a tie-in to a Disney show as Doctor Strange did, um, you know, directly with WandaVision, I did see a lot of people say that, oh, Thor's profile has been raised since the since Endgame, and you know, he's he has renewed favor after Waititi's reimagining of him in Ragnarok. However, as with Doctor Strange, at the end of the day, you know, this is a solo adventure. You know, the Guardians show for what all of five minutes in the film before Thor, ha- because Thor happened to be with them at the end of Endgame, and they needed to solve that continuity. And then, you know, there's no really massive event film such as, uh, and it's not really a massive event film such as Endgame or No Way Home. You know, looking at solo adventure films, the highest grossing MCU solo film is Black Panther 202 million opening weekend, but that is clearly uh, helped by one, Chadwick Boseman kind of uh, having his first partial appearance in Civil War before ultimately having this is, as his first solo adventure, which first solo films tend to do pretty good. Um, and also the, the cultural significance of the first black superhero in the MCU. Uh, you know, Multiverse of Madness, you know, again, had inflated expectations from earlier this year due to the tie-ins to WandaVision, and since dropped, it's kind of stronger than normal, actually. Uh, and then Iron Man 3 made $174 million, but at that point, people were in love with RDJ, and granted, it is on the lower score of ratings. And then Captain Marvel is the only other solo film to open more than $150 million. I think likely due to it soaring up between Infinity War and Endgame. So I think this is result is decent, if not exciting or record-breaking, right? I think $150 million is probably the ceiling for what we can expect for non-MCU event films to non-event films from the MCU to, to have at this point. So coming up just against 150 million is pretty good, I think. Um, now, you know, 
whether or not word of mouth, you know, the, the kind of subpar reviews people have been having uh, causes Thor Ragnarok to have a quicker delay uh, than other films at the box office. And whether or not we're seeing the ever-looming MCU superhero fatigue as with all the TV shows and such vying for our attention um, makes, you know, all of these films less and less special as far as, you know, raising expectations for what Marvel needs to do to impress us. That's an entirely other conversation. Um, you know, I do also think I think part of contributing to the the maybe deflated uh, result is that you know a looming threat of a potential global recession and economic slowdown may have some people be a little bit more reluctant to spend on entertainment at the moment. Though that's purely speculation on my part. Now, reportedly, Thor: Love and Thunder is one of the most expensive MCU films to date. I think it's actually the most expensive solo film, uh, costing two fifty million dollars ahead of Avengers' two twenty five million budget and behind only the other Avengers films, all which had three hundred million plus budgets. A uh, break even point for you know this film with two fifty million opening weekend would be about six twenty five million worldwide. As a point of reference, you know, Ragnarok ended up with 80, 850 million worldwide, and Guardians of the Galaxy, which is right next to uh, Thor: Love and Thunder in terms of opening weekends, ended up with 869 million worldwide. So domestically, these films had about 2.57, 2.69x multipliers, respectively, though those also had better word of mouth. Um, if it follows the very subpar Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness multiplier of about 2.2x, Thor: Love and Thunder would end up with call it 316 million domestic, right in line with Ragnarok's 315 million domestic total. A Ragnarok-like multiplier, on the other hand, would put it at 370 million uh, domestic. So somewhere between there, I think it's, it's kind of the realistic expectation. I'll say maybe 350 or so, um, ending up domestically right around number 12 or 13 for out of the 30 MCU films. I don't think it's going to be a billion-dollar grocer, but it should end up somewhere in the maybe 800 million, maybe even 900 million dollars. But I, I would I'd say probably more likely in the 800 million dollar range at this point. In any case, in second place, we have Minions Rise of Gru coming in with $46 million in 4,427 theaters for per theater average of 10,420 per theater average. Uh, steep 57% week-over-week week drop, though that is off of a much high, uh, inflated 4th of July weekend. Um, the running domestic total is $210.6 million. Overseas has made another $189 million, putting it at just about $400 million worldwide. That's near-identical drops to the first Minions and Despicable, uh, Despicable Me 3, um, despite having better ratings, and those went on to both make uh, about a billion dollars worldwide. Uh, with 2.9x and 3.65x multipliers domestically, that translates for Minions Rise of Good to be about 310 to 390 million domestic. So again, let's call it another 350 million uh, target for the end of this one's run. Uh, third place uh, goes to Top Gun Maverick, dropping 40% in the past weekend to about 15.5 million. Again, a steeper than normal drop, uh, but that's partly due to the longer weekend last weekend. Uh, per theater average is 4,414, and uh, running domestic total is $597 million. So um, sometime earlier this week, it probably hit $600 million. Uh, overseas, it sits at $544 million and $1.14 billion worldwide. At this point, it's pretty clear this will be the highest grossing film all summer, and definitely probably top three. Uh, of the of the rest of the year, um, who do you think it would be the twelfth film twelfth film ever to hit six hundred million? Also, based on reports, uh, these reports, it seems that Miles Teller is in talks with Tom Cruise to maybe potentially lead a Top Gun three down the road. Not sure how I feel about it, but if they can keep the same quality as they have with Mission Impossible and have Tom perhaps on as a producer, if not the lead, then I'd probably be game to see uh, Top Gun three down the road. 
Uh, fourth place goes to Elvis, dropping a respectable 39% to $11.1 million in 3,714 theaters for a per theater average of $3,011, running a domestic total of $91.3 million. Another $64 million overseas puts it at $155 million worldwide. Uh, $100 million domestic seems like a sort of thing here at this point. Um, again, it's tracking between Bohemian Rhapsody and Rocket Man pretty steadily in this weekend. $11 million against Bohemian $16 million and Rocket Man's $9 million. Uh, there are multipliers of 3.75 and 4.25, so just probably a 4x multiplier for Elvis domestically, which would put it about a $120 million by the end of its run. Uh, rounding out the top five will be Jurassic World Dominion, 47% drop in week five, down to about 8.6 million in uh, 3,251 theaters, per theater average of 26.45, and a running domestic total of $350 million. Another 526 million overseas puts it at 876 worldwide. Um, it's starting to slip a little bit against Fallen Kingdom, where, whereas in previous weeks it was pretty much spot on, maybe about a million or so off from each week in total. Now it's about 8.6 million against 11.5 2 million and the weekday gaps for the end of the day uh, difference at 350 to 384 million um, so you know that's growing as well uh, it'll be a bit of a nail biter actually to see if Jurassic World Dominion can scrounge up another 19 million or so before to end its run before uh, it, that ends to beat Batman's 369 million domestic at this point, though, I think a billion dollars worldwide looks like it's out of reach unless Japan, which has yet to release, does better than expected. Notably, it is coming on PVOD uh, sometime this week, though no word on when it will end up on Universal's Peacock streaming service. Uh, outside the top five, the Black Phone sits at 62 million domestic and 99.2 million worldwide to date, uh, to date against its 18 million budget. Again, I think it's coming to POVD uh, in the next couple of days, but still hit $100 million worldwide before then. Uh, Lightyear disappoints, losing 1,710 theaters in its fourth weekend, down to only $3 million and a 52% drop. Domestic total of $112 million and a worldwide total of $204 million. It'll be close to see if it's able to beat The Good Dinosaur for Pixar's to avoid the worst domestic total of $123 million, but $333 million is definitely out of reach uh, for this one. Um, and at number 8, Marcel de Sel with Susan goes on to its slow roll to another 26 theaters in three th for $3,222. $322,000, or per the average of $6,712. Oh, and also Mr. Malcolm's list uh, in the second weekend dropped 69%, which, nice. Um, anyway, overall total box office for the weekend was $238 million, almost twice of the same weekend in 2019. Uh, this coming weekend, we have three releases. First, a focus feature film, uh, Miss Harris Goes to Paris, a comedy drama adapting the 1958 novel Miss Harris Goes to Paris. Uh, solid reviews at 95% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes, but probably not going to break through just due to the limited release I think it'll have. Um, box office pros doesn't have any numbers for this one. Uh, next up, Pause of Fury, The Legend of Hank is a new animated film from Paramount Pictures featuring the voices of of Sam Jackson and Michael Serra as anthropomorphic cats and dogs. That's apparently a setup of the old Blazing Saddles um, uh, uh, Western. Um, uh, honestly, with millions popping off the way it is, even the seven to twelve million dollar forecast by box office post seems pretty high. Though I did see a report earlier this week that the budget for uh, that Paramount acquired this film for about ten million dollars total. Even apparently it cost forty five million dollars to make. So um, yeah, I think this one is not a lot on the line for them there. 
And then we have Mystery Drama Where the Crawdads Sing, which is an adaptation of the 2018 bestseller of the same name, distributed by Sony Pictures Releasing. Uh, the biggest credits for this one is Reese Witherspoon producing and Taylor Swift writing an original song for it. Uh, Box Office Pros has this one at 14 to $19 million. At the time of writing, it has a, a whopping 45% on Rotten Tomatoes, um, so I think that's not going to go anywhere. Uh, and then Marcel the Cell with Suzanne will continue its expansion to about 150 theaters, theaters uh, this coming weekend. Uh, overseas, Thor Love and Thunder was the big news story without much else. Uh, over in China, Lighting Up the Stars takes the third weekend at the top with $27.8 million for $186.3 million to date. Uh, number two was another local film, Detective vs. Sleuths, making $22.8 million in its opening weekend. And then Jurassic World is the best-performing Hollywood film with $6.3 million this weekend for $143.7 million to date. Uh, notably, Love and Thor Love and Thunder has yet to receive an official release date and based on some passing LGBT references in the film, uh, as with Lightyear, I think this one won't ever get the release, continuing a streak of Marvel films not making it into China. Uh, the only other headline this weekend uh, were the uh, headlines about some new movie dates and releases. Uh, first, the upcoming Warner Brothers adaptation of Stephen King's Salem's Lot, produced by James Wan, is being pushed back from a September 9 release date back to April 21, 2023. Uh, and an MGM superhero film Samaritan, starring Sylvester Stallone, is going to be skipping theaters and going straight to Amazon Prime on August 26th. Uh, to wrap up the show, you know, not to make it too long since this is later in the week, uh, let's finish this show with what I've been watching, my reviews of Phil Tippett's Mad God and Thor Love and Thunder. Uh, first, Love and Thunder. But before anything else, uh, I've said, uh, beyond anything else I've said this episode so far, uh, to set, about setting expectations as a standalone film versus some broad event film, I think the biggest takeaway you can get from this review is that this has Taika Waititi's fingerprints all over it for good and for worse. Uh, for me, that's mostly good. Um, I'm a big fan of his kind of humor, even if it's dialed up to 11, but I can see how kind of like the frenetic nature can ruin the pacing, character development, lack of moments of gravitas you'd want. Um, Korg, voiced by Waititi himself, is kind of the embodiment of this. You know, he was sprinkled in throughout Ragnarok, kind of like you know to accent the the tone they were going for he was front he, he has front and center and there was no escaping him you know as far as the rest of the cast you know Hemsworth as Thor le, you know leans again as again to the more office humorous characterization of Thor more than ever uh, Natalie Portman as Jane Foster is great as the mighty Thor um, and Russell Crowe as Zeus is kind of you know, a self-aware parody of himself, which may or may not work for you. Um, I think, obviously, the highlight is Christian Bale as Gore the God Butcher. Even if there was a notable lack of God Butchering throughout the film, he has that creepy commitment to the role, and also that classic Marvel villain thing of, like, you know, you know, I, I mean, they're not totally in the wrong here. That makes for a good villain. Um, in particular, the scene where they are in the shadow realm and the color saturation dips to zero is probably the highlight of the film, uh, visually at least. Overall, I wouldn't go into this film looking for some deeper emotional weight for it. I think this is the, the, the purest definition of a popcorn flick through and through. And honestly, turn your brain off kind of thing um, from, from the joke to the action. Thor, I think at this point, has had his character arc. And I don't think he's being written out of the MCU, as with Chris Evans or RDJ. But I can definitely see him taking more of a backseat as he, spoiler, focuses more on being a dad for a little bit. At least until the next crossover film anyway. Also, I do want to mention the two things I think have been somewhat divisive. Um, you know, my two favorite bits about the film, comedy-wise, were you know this whole thing about the, the 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 weapons being kind of jealous of each other that never got old, and um, you know 
the goat screaming bit, I, I know a lot of people kind of found it lame and they repeated it probably a little bit too often, but, you know, I was watching it with my wife and she just lost it every time that happened. Um, whereas, you know, we saw this in theaters and it actually was probably the most full I'd seen in the theater uh, since uh, since Spider-Man No Way Home, actually. It was more full than Doctor Strange. It was more full uh, than Top Gun. So, yeah, um, maybe that's just my area and, and the films that we like here. Anyway, um, you know, even, anyway, back to the goats, you know, even now we'll just kind of scream like a goat for no reason just crack the other person up um don't worry Delia, i won't subject you to that but no this is a passable three out of five screaming goats uh the other movie i think i watched this that i watched this weekend was phil tippett's mad god over at the ifc center now for those who don't know phil tippett is the genius behind the special effects of films like starship troopers willow robocop and a couple little films known as jurassic park and return of the jedi uh, he ended up winning the oscars uh for those as part of industrial light and magic um and he ended up making his own studio tippett studios uh mad god is an independent project he had started working on back in 1990 but as stop motion animation fell to the side in favor of CG, ironically enough, due to Jurassic Park, he ended up solving the project until about 2010 or so, where he decided to run a Kickstarter for the project, and Mad God is the result of that. Um, as someone who appreciates a good stop-motion film, I definitely had to make time to see it, and I wasn't going to get a subscription to Sutter, which is, you know, where it's currently available on streaming, so after the IFC Center, I went at 10.30 in the morning on a Saturday, being one of two people to be seeing it. Um, the film itself is very dark, both visually, but also just tonally, right? It's other words are unsettling, disturbing, bleak, macabre, macabre uh, apocalyptic, dystopian, twisted. Um, I've even seen it described as a Milton-esque cacophony, uh, if you know what that means. Um, the uh, completely nonverbal film follows you know, an individual who wanders through a hellish landscape um, where each section he descends into more and more, is more and more twisted and, 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 and harsh than the last, um, with little chance of survival for anyone there. Uh, things escalate from there, and, and it's kind of mind-melting. Like, literally, it was so mind-melting and just kind of overwhelming from my senses that I kind of blacked out for a couple of minutes um, here and there, not out of boredom, but I just physically could not process any more information coming in. Um, without dialogue or even a real plot, the interpretation of the film is really up to the individual up in the air, um, though it's definitely not anything warm and fuzzy coming out of it. You know, I've seen interpretation of it as a commentary on the destructive nature of creation, of mankind, the critique of our own twisted society, and how no one is really a human, we're all monsters. Very encouraging stuff, Phil. Uh, apparently, he had to go to the psych ward at some point in the last year of making this film. You know, Something about you staring into the abyss and the abyss staring back and all that. I can't say this film is for everyone, but from a serious technical level, you know, getting this made in stop motion is with such a singular vision. I can't help. I can't. Maybe I don't fully get the film, but I have to appreciate the technical craft that goes into it, which gets to the three out of five for me. Oh yeah, I also watched a couple other films, um, but those are from my Best Picture Marathon series I'm doing over on my other bo- podcast feed, The Oscars Death Race, uh, which is still in the off-season, um, and so that episode will be coming out, hopefully I can get done editing it uh, later this uh, later this week, and it'll come out soon, so maybe make sure you check that out whenever it comes out. And with that, that's a wrap for this episode. Two more deals for us to cover via email at boxofficewatchpodcast at gmail.com or on BO Watch Podcast on Twitter. Also, it's on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. Leave a review, subscribe, at the very least, tell a friend that any of that helps. Uh, numbers in the show come from thenumbers.com. Our intro and outro music is from Kevin MacLeod at incompetent.filmers.io. Editing production provided by Ninsboy Media. Until next time, this has been the Box Office Watch. And remember, our watch goes on. Mm-hmm.